So the last several weeks, if you have been with us, we work th- through things really slowly here at Mission when it comes to working through God's Word. And in this sermon series, we've been focusing uh, for the last several weeks on the, the first uh, several verses, verses 3 through 14, and looking at this praise and worship that Paul goes into, that he is writing this group of believers that he has not seen in quite some time, and he's writing to encourage them. And in the midst of that, after addressing them at the very beginning, these faithful people who are in Ephesus, who are called according to the will and purpose of God, that then he breaks into this run-on sentence where he is praising God for the mysteries of God's, what was once God's hidden will is now unveiled to God's people. That they get to peer behind the curtain to see the aspects of how God's salvific plan was happening and was going to be accomplished before you and I were ever created. And so Paul, over these first three chapters, is, is through the power of the Holy Spirit, is showing us who we are in Jesus. Because they lived, and we currently live, in a place that is not our home. We are aliens in a foreign land. Our home is ultimately with God and in God's presence, and yet we're living in a culture that is, is broken, and, and people, especially during this time when this letter was written, they're being persecuted, they're being drug out in the streets because of their faith in Jesus, they're being cast to lines, they're being burned at the stake because they follow Jesus. And we, we see into this that Paul wants them to understand their identity because how many of you guys have ever had something really catastrophic happen in your life? How many of you have ever planned, man, this is the way my life is going to go, and then something really shake that up? Okay? We all love Bethany, and her relationship with Brian is a clear picture of that to us every day that we're around them as we just think that she is a saint, of how she lovingly serves him, right? I mean, but all of us, for every one of us, I disciple Brian, that's, it's part of our relationship, I get to do that. Um, and so um, we, we see this, that, that in our relationships, man, you're, I, I work with college students, I love college students, that's my heartbeat right there. And I, I work with them all the time, and they come up with these ideas and these concepts that my life is going to do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, and it's gonna equal this kind of life. And if you've graduated from college, or if you've got a few years on you, even if you haven't graduated, you can quickly tell those college students as you shake their head and you say from the South, bless your heart. You're an idiot. That's what you're really saying to them, right? Because life never seemingly goes the way that you and I. But when we're in those darkest of days... Those darkest moments where we are, are grieving in pain and agony, and specifically these people are in grief and agony over being persecuted because they are followers of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm sure that these people did, and I know that I am this way, that in those darkest of moments, you know that, that groaning and grief that, that comes not simply from your eyes, but from here, that chest groan over what's happening in your life? that it can be quickly easy to forget who we are. In Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit riding through this man named Paul, once these persecuted believers, many of them maybe in their darkest of hours, to be encouraged by who God deems that they are. 
They are God's chosen people. They are the redeemed ones. They are the adopted sons and daughters of God. They are the very inheritance of God. Like you are God's gift. I mean, think about how from our mindset, I, I know you, you know me, we don't sound like a very good gift to something, someone else, right? And God says, hey, Jesus, I've got a gift for you. And you think it's a Roomba, but it's you, <laughs> right? And, and yet we are the inheritance of God, which we've been talking about over the last several weeks, and we'll, we'll hit on it. We'll kind of skid off of it just a little bit today, even as one of our points. But to think about this, brothers and sisters, in our MC this week, we were talking about just the importance of being really real and vulnerable with each other, that we can often, again, drift from who we are in Jesus and that we need community to remind us of who we are. Paul, after getting done, and I really hope Paul sang this as he was writing it, but after he finishes this long discord, this praise and worship, he gets to verse 15. And what's the first thing that he does? He begins to, to just write to them a word of encouragement. And what is that word of encouragement? He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Remember the last time that Paul left these people? Remember back in um, Acts chapter 20? How does he leave? They're all in tears. And Paul is in tears. They're, they're on their knees because they know that they will probably never see Paul again. And I don't know exactly how much time has passed since Paul left them um, on that beach uh, to this moment. But I feel that several years have passed by. And yet Paul is getting good reports still, after he's gone, that they're being what? They're being faithful. I mean, I, I give thanks to God. He, he encourages them. I give thanks to God for what? For your, your faithfulness. I, 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 your love toward this. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. See, community is extremely important. People who claim to be followers of Jesus apart from belonging to the local church, I want you to know you, you, you are walking in disobedience. Listening to podcasts is not the church. Watching a, a television preacher is not belonging to the church. There may be a place for that. It may be beneficial. It may be encouragement. But there is no replacement to belonging and being under the submission of local elders and belonging to a local body. And years have passed. Paul has told them, hey, be careful, elders, because fierce wolves are going to try to destroy this thing. And yet we have a testimony. And what's that testimony? You're still faithful, and you love each other. So Paul, he, he breaks down in this idea of just that identity that we need to know who we are and the importance of being in community with each other so that we can see and be reminded of who we are, even in its most difficult days. Today, 
I'm not going to go long here, but I want to give you three points that Paul is going to dive into after he sends them encouragement. We're going to see that Paul is going to pray for these saints. And I want you to understand that this is the way that we should be praying for each other. This is what I've been praying for you even this week. We can kind of see here uh, an explanation of, man, what are some faithful prayers that we should be praying for people within this community of faith? But to understand that, we need to understand some doctrine. And I know for some of you, I just cussed because I said doctrine. Doctrine is a great word. We need doctrine. Everyone has doctrine, even if it's a false one, okay? But we need to have a a biblical understanding of some doctrine. And today, I'm going to share with you um, the doctrine of illumination, that Paul, in this prayer, is going to specifically pray that God would illuminate certain things about his character and about his inheritance and about his power to encourage these people. And that's what we should be doing. So what is the doctrine of illumination? All right? The doctrine of illumination is the Holy Spirit, is where the Holy Spirit enables us to understand the mysteries of God his word, and apply it to our lives, okay? When we talk about the doctrine of illumination, we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit that enables you to understand the mysteries of God, it enables you to understand his word, and it helps you to be able to apply it to your life. That's what we're talking about when we speak of the doctrine of illumination, Okay? For you to understand God's word, God has to do something. The Holy Spirit has to do something. He has to do a work inside of the reader or the listener. Okay? That's what's both encouraging and frustrating about what I'm doing right now. I'm preaching the word, and I know this every week. I am humbled at the fact that I can get up here, and it doesn't matter if I'm being, if I'm being faithful to the text, that, that it, is up, it is left up not to my words, but to the power of the Holy Spirit of what he's going to do inside of your heart. And so both that is frustrating and, and encouraging, because I want something to happen every time we gather. And yet I'm encouraged to know that at the end of the day, what happens here today is not in my hands. It is in God's hands. Well, I just th- simply don't want to throw out some theological term to you. that we. I want to make sure that we're getting that from the Bible. So if you have your Bible, if you don't, get that black one next to you, and you're going to swing to the right inside of the Word of God. I want you to flip over um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then we're going to hit these points rather quickly today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is also writing this to the church at Corinth. This is uh, what we like to call the church gone wild. It's who Paul is writing here. They've gone really crazy. And Paul is trying to get them back on track. And so this is what he says, and this is one of the texts that we get this idea of the doctrine of illumination. He says this, verse 6, Yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, 
For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the, say it, Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by who? God. And we apart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Okay? So what we see from the scripture is, is again, that you can hand uh, two people um, the same passage of scripture. The same gospel. And yet the Spirit of God fall upon one and not fall upon the other. And whose prerogative is that? It's the Holy Spirit's prerogative. Okay? None of us would understand the gospel. We scale it all down. The skinny of the doctrine of illumination is, is none of us would understand the gospel unless the Holy Spirit awakens our dead hearts to it. He has to do something for you to get it. Okay, And so Paul, think about it, he's trying to be a good pastor. He has just unveiled to them all of these truths. He has just told them before they ever did anything, good or bad, that God has chosen to save some according to the pleasure of his will and purpose. And so now he understands that, man, I've unveiled all of these truths from God, but for my people, this flock, to get them, the Holy Spirit is going to have to do a mighty, mighty work. And so before he goes into diving more into that, he gives us an example. He prays. I don't know about you guys, but my prayer life, how do I put this, stinks. I love the Word of God. I'm a nerd. I'm a researcher by nature. I like to know, all right? Um, I'm, I am the person that if I'm in conversation with you and we're trying to figure something out, if something's true or not, I will grab my phone, not disrespectfully, but it's like, let's, let's find out. Google, Siri, right? What is such and such and such and such? Because I, I like to know. It is, I am bent toward easily running toward a book, but how many times have, you know, you've, you've actually set out to have a quiet time or a daily devotion with the Lord, and you've, you've closed your eyes and you cracked open the Bible, all right, in some random passage? 
Paul's going to lay out an example to us to seek God and the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate whatever text we are about to read. Because even those of us who love to read the Bible can equally uh, often run to the text first. And I think the power of what we see inside the Scripture, one of the powers that we see inside the Scripture, is to run to the Lord first. Maybe that would juice up our quiet times. Maybe that would awaken us. Maybe that would provide the spiritual caffeine needed for diving into the text if, if we're asking God to illuminate His word, to illuminate his character, to illuminate our hope in him, to illuminate his power before we ever dive into the scripture. So Paul dives into this mentality. He begins to pray for his folks. So flip back over to Ephesians. It tells us here that in verse 17, he, or verse 16, he says, I, I remembering you in my prayers um, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So the first thing that Paul prays is this. Paul prays um, for this church that's out there. He says, God, uh, please reveal your character, give them revelation and wisdom, um, reveal your character to these people. Illuminate their, your character. Make your character so worthy to them, so, of, of such great worth and value. May your character be their treasure. This is what he prays, and this is what we should pray. We should pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate God's character to us. Brothers and sisters, we say it often here at Mission, but we say it to remind us, the Bible is not primarily about you. The Bible is primarily about God. It is the story of God. It is the way in which that he reveals this character to us. And Paul, the being the good pastor, man, he wants them to know who God is. He wants God to give them spiritual sight. He wants them to understand, to know God is more valuable than anything that this world has to offer. This is why here at Mission that we have done things in the past like Behold Your God. That's why we did a series um, at, the, at the end of last year looking at the, the attributes and the character of God. It's because, brothers and sisters, I'm still convinced that one of the major problems with the inside American Christianity is a low view of God. It's that we don't know the God of the Bible. And we understand that from Scripture that knowing God cannot happen apart from the Holy Spirit. Is this not the words of Jesus? It's Jesus as he is heading toward the cross in John chapter 14, John chapter 16, and John chapter 17. He, he begins to talk to his disciples and also that he begins to pray to God for his disciples. He says in John 14, 26, Jesus says, The Spirit will teach you all things. He says in John 16, 13, Jesus says that the Spirit will guide you in all truth. John 17, 3, as, as Jesus is preparing for the cross, he, get this, he says this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one and only true God, that they may know you. So when, when Jesus is, is, is preparing for this cross, 
He's, he's bleeding as, as great drops of blood. Sweat is becoming it is like. I don't know if he was really ble- bleeding out his pores. I, I, I don't know, but we get the picture of the image here of the Garden of Gethsemane. As, as Jesus is being pressed, he's in an olive grove, he's in an olive press, and being pressed that night is not olives. It is a God-man. His name is Jesus. And in his prayers, he is praying for the church to know God. That's the purpose of eternity. As great as, you know, asphalt made of gold and your mansion and every other southern gospel song that sings about meeting all these and having all these great times in heaven with Jesus. The ultimate goal is an eternal relationship with God. And that is worthy of our worship. That is worthy of honor. How many of you guys have ever read a leadership book? Any leadership gurus in here? Got John Maxwell's like your homeboy or something, t-shirts? How many of you guys have ever read a Christian leadership book? Those are always really interesting. Okay. How many of you guys have grown up in church long enough and you've heard this? And speaking about church leadership, somebody has stood up and said, Well, the Bible says, and that Proverbs, that a people without a vision, what? perish right and we're told that as leaders see pastor see leader you got to give the people a vision all right you got to come up with a a purpose for the for the church you got to come up with a a mission statement because here's the deal the bible tells us that if they if they don't have vision then they're going to perish did you know that passage has nothing to do with church leadership? Absolutely nothing. It has nothing to do with church leadership in the way that we make that. With the, the writer of Proverbs is not saying, all right, you need to get the seven habits tree, you need to throw it up at the church and convince everybody to be, you know, good people and good citizens. And this is the way that you do that. That is not with the passage. In the ESV, it even translates like, like this, where there is no prophetic vision The people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. You know what Solomon is saying there? Know the Bible. People who have not, the scripture has not been illuminated to them. People who are not pressing into the word of God. Um, You know, biblically ignorant people, you know what they do? They perish. But for those who press into the word of God, they are blessed who keep the law who know God's wall, that this idea of illumination is this, this idea of an awakening of our eyes, the, uh, 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 that things are, are past. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will do what? He will guide and direct your path. If you grew up in church like I did, thy word is a lamp to my feet. You know that one right? I mean, it's, it's scripture. It's this idea that our paths are now lit up. They are illuminated by the Holy Spirit as he guides and directs us toward the character and nature of God. And Paul doesn't want his flock to miss this. Mission Church, we must pray for each other. 
that God would illuminate his character to us. Because I believe that the core of all of our messiness that is in this room is a lack of understanding of who God is. And whatever fruit comes out from that, the, the real root of it, is we are missing the God of the Bible. And we believe that X, Y, and Z is way more valuable than Him. But if we would see Him as the ultimate, the penultimate, the highest of treasures, then a lot of this peripheral stuff, a lot of this fruit would be taken care of. So Paul, he begins to pray that. He begins to ask that. And he, and he, and he says this, or, or James Montgomery Boyce, if you know much about preaching and commentaries and all these sort of things, he says this, that the word without illumination of the Holy Spirit remains a closed book. We're not learning something new. We're learning what it really means. And that should be the drive of all of us. Is that, I want you to know, is I don't have anything new. And it would be wrong of me if I could teach you something new that's outside the Bible. The goal of our gathering is to learn what it really means. And I come across people all the time, they're like, well, I just don't believe that. Well, brother, teach me. Let's, let's work together. What does it mean? Let's press into the text, not, not push away from the table and just go, well, I just, don't, I just don't know, or I just don't agree with that, or it's not the way that I was raised, or it's not the way, but, but, but man, if you love me and I love you, let's, let's not divide over this. Man, let's press into it. To seek God, to know what does this really mean? And ultimately, not so we can have nuggets of truth, but what does this reveal about our God? This is what we're hoping for. I once heard a man tell a story, and as he was going to college, he said when he was a young man, his mama handed him a book. All right? You're awesome, mom. Happy graduation from high school. Here's a book, right? He graduates from high school, and his mama gives him a book, and he reads that book. And guess what? At the end of that book, he hated that book. That book was boring. He didn't understand it. He thought it was a complete waste of the time that he took to read that book. And then he went to college. And when he went to college, he had this professor um, that he absolutely fell in love with this. He hung on every word as he gave lecture. Um, this man sat in that crowd, and he, he hung on every word. He built a relationship with that teacher. After that semester was over, he went back and read that book that his mama gave him. You know why? Because it was the professor that wrote that book. After knowing the professor... It changed the way that he saw the book. He loved the book after knowing the man who wrote it. See, a lot of us, because let's face it, we can all fall in love and be dedicated to a lot of things. And a, but a quiet time or spending time with the Lord or with church family, that's if we get to it on our daily schedule. And yet if we know the author of it, what once led us as we, we fall, well, it's just, it's boring. Do you know the author? Because if we know the author, brothers and sisters, we see this not as a textbook, it's not something simply to be educating ourselves on so that we can destroy other people in arguments. But it's so that we can fall more in love with 
this Jesus. See, without seeking illumination, you might as well be reading the Bible like it's a romance novel or chicken soup for the blind soul. But through illumination and through knowing its author, it is our breath and life. Do you understand that in the Old Testament, these people thought of God's word as being sweet as honey. There was like one Bible in the entire church. It was the Old Testament. And when that rabbi would get up there and unscroll that, actually he would sit down. You would stand up at the reading of the word. He would preach sitting down. But typically he would walk in and there are stories being told that he would unscroll that and he would walk around the congregation holding holding up the word of God, they would take their hands, they would kiss their lips, and they would place those fingers on the word of God because it was that precious to them. It is like the word says that that his word is like sweet honey for us. And yet in your darkest of day, what do you run to? I mean, in your most brokenhearted moment, do you run to the television? You run to some Instagram pithy quote. You run to drugs or alcohol. You run to pornography. Do you run to anger? Do you do you run to withdrawing? Do, do you run like, man, I just gotta I just gotta get away and you hop in the car and drive off? Do you read things that you're not you probably shouldn't read or, you know, get to the millionth level of candy crush and you think you're awesome? You're not. Just say no. Are you a man who is a grown man and you're up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. with a headset on talking to teenage boys that you play Call of Duty? What do you run to? Let us learn to run to God. Let us learn to run to His Word, asking Him to illuminate it to us. That it is precious. And I know that you've got 30 on a shelf and you've got every version, even the Greek, on your phone right now and you can't even read it. But by God, you got it. No soldier puts on his armor at night before he goes to bed. But a soldier, when he wakes up, prepares for battle that day. May we run to that. May we run to God's Word. J.I. Packer. Well, let me tell you this one first because I, I love Spurgeon. He's my homeboy. He is my homeboy. Spurgeon once said that apart from the Holy Spirit, it is easier to teach a tiger vegetarianism than an unregenerate, that's an unbeliever, person the gospel. J.I. Packer would go on to say, we are cruel to ourselves if, if we try to live in a world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, made painful place And the life in it is a disappointing and unpleasant business. For those who do not know God, disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded. As it were, with with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you, this, this way you can waste your life and 
lose your soul. Our aim in the study of Godhead must be to know God himself better. Our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance, not simply with the doctrine of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. So you can know that God is omniscient and not know God. You can know that God is sovereign and not know God. It's something that you and I must begin to press into. And brothers and sisters, please, I say this because I love you. And I say this because this is the conviction of my own heart even here this morning. But our priorities are all out of whack. And please don't tell me that you do not like to read. Because brothers, you and I, we can know a lot about sports and know little about God. We can, you can know lots about vehicles. One day, in about 30 years, Brother Mike back here is going to get his vehicle. He's been working on done, and he's going to take us all for a ride, one at a time, because it only fits two people. <laughs> and I can't wait for that day, brother. <laughs> but Mike can tell you all about that thing. We can tell each other about what you love, you will know about. What is a priority? You will know about it. You will research it. You will learn about it. You become obnoxious about it. If you know a CrossFitter, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You will look at people's Facebook status and you can quickly see what people know about. Because we not only want to get it, we want you to get it. And again, that can be a variety of things. It can be movies, it can be fashion. And I've got some friends that aren't even from Kentucky that know more about Kentucky bourbon than I do. It can be friends, brothers and sisters. We can be an all-star at our work. A professional. And yet barely know God. Many of us are more faithful to our work than they are the worship of Jesus. So Paul, knowing this, that this is how we're bent, prays for his flock. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, illuminate your word. Give them special revelation. Give them wisdom to who you are. Because he knows if we get that, then all other things will fall in line. Every one of us in here are annoying. I know that hurts some of your feelings, but you are. And so am I. But brothers and sisters, if we're going to be annoying by anything, may people be annoyed that we love Jesus. Not because we're trying to sell them something. Anybody lose a friend over Zija a few years ago? If you sold it, you lost friends. I just want you to know. I had a guy at the end of revival. Y'all have heard this before. I have a son with special needs. He walked me out of his truck. He's got, he said, I got something that will probably heal your kid. And he handed me a box of Zija. If we're going to be annoying, and if we're going to have broken relationship, may it be over God. 
May it be over the spreading of the gospel. May it not be over trinkets and pyramid schemes. May it not be over a favorite sports team or your favorite hobby. But may it be over God. The second thing that Paul goes into in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that's the idea, again, of, of, of illumination, that the, the heart inside of Judaism is the place in the center of all your being, is the place of both your emotions and your intellect, not just the thing that pumps your blood. But it says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Again, we've covered this over the last several weeks. I'm not going to just, you know, go continue to just beat this to death, even though we probably should. Is that we should pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the hope that we have in being God's inheritance. That God is going to do this. That God has set something in motion in the past. And God has revealed to us how precious we are to him. This should not drive us to pride, brothers and sisters. But it should drive us to humility. We're going to get real humbled next week. Real humbled. And yet, I pray that that humility drives us to worship. As we understand that in spite of who we are, what Jesus has done. The third point that Paul prays. Verse, beginning in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? So the third thing that we're going to pray is, we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate his character. We're going to pray that God would help us to illuminate that we can have hope because we are God's inheritance. The third thing is, is that we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate God's power. And Paul illustrates God's power. How does he do it? Well, in verse 20, he says that he raised Jesus from the dead. Is that powerful? Yes. All right? Don't make me go all Resurrection Sunday on March 4th. Okay? There is power in the cross and the resurrection. Well, what else does Paul tell us here? In, in verse 21, he has taken the resurrected Lord and he has enthroned him. He has placed him on a throne in, in, in verse 21. In verse 22, we see that, that everything is under the authority of who? Jesus, get this, this man who once walked the earth as a peasant man is now enthroned in heaven waiting to renew and redeem and, and create uh, creation back to its original form. Everything, every president we have is in submission to God Almighty and Jesus on the throne. Whether you have or whether you don't, is all in the hands of God. No matter what takes place in our lives, Paul is reminding us to and asking the Holy Spirit because again, when they are coming in and ripping brothers and sisters from our midst to kill them because they follow Jesus, man, you got to struggle, brothers and sisters. And here's the deal is I want to teach our people. We want to teach our people. We want to teach this flock. We want to be amongst this flock, but we want to learn to suffer well. And so when it, they come, if they come, we will not lose sight 
Why? Because in verse 22 through 23, the end of that, it tells us that Christ is the head of the church and that we are united in Christ, that we belong to Christ. How well will Christ take care of his body? Christ is a good steward of his church. He's not going to fill his church full of, of junk food. Okay? He's not going to fill his church full of toxins. No, but we are united. We are up under his headship. And if he's got this, guess what? He's got us. Remember, who is this letter written to? The Ephesians. We studied a few months ago. What's, what's going on in the Ephesians? The, his congregation is full of Harry Potters, okay? This congregation is full of people who are into witchcraft and wizardry and the dark magic and all of that sort of stuff. They are believing that trinkets and, and different amulets actually have power, and they've been converted out of that mindset into being followers of Jesus. And so what Paul has to remind them of this is that all of those things are a, 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 you know, an ounce, a drop in the bucket compared to the power of God. Your power is not found in some trinket. It's not found in even, they wore crosses. I don't know that they did, but there's no power in a cross around your neck or a cross on your t-shirt or because you say the name of Jesus just flippantly, but there is power in the personhood of Christ and it is triumphant over all of those magic trinkets and stuff. If you've ever thought back to the book of Exodus, when I was a kid and, and God sends all the plagues, remember like the locusts and the, and the frogs and he turns the, the water into blood, all that sort of stuff, I thought that was just by random chance. But it's belief that most of those plagues came specifically to overpower the gods of the Egyptians. They believed that frogs had power. So what does God do? covers everything in frogs. I'll show you, Kermit. I mean, could you imagine? Why? Because he's trying to show them, with well, the Egyptians, they worship the frog god. Oh, I got your frog god. I mean, just, I mean, everywhere you go and sit, you go to the bread box, you go to the onion box, you crack that thing open, and frogs are just everywhere. That's a bad day. But what is God trying to show? Every one of the plagues that God sent, he sent with a purpose to show there is no other God before me. I am all-powerful. I control everything. Everything. So don't lose hope. May God illuminate. In closing, this. May you be reminded this morning that if God can raise Jesus from the dead, surely he can fix your marriage. God can surely bring home your wayward child. God can surely meet the single lonely person and build a relationship with them and heal their heart. God can surely make the blind see and the deaf lame. He can definitely give you another job or help you in your finances. If Jesus 
if God can, can do all those things, then surely He can resurrect everything that is broken within us. In closing, I want to ask you a question. If Paul was to write us, if Paul was to write you, Paul was to write me, and if Paul was to write us as Mission Church, what would he say? Would he say as he did to these people of faith that you have been faithful? I give thanks to God. I have heard. I'm far removed from you, but I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints. What would he say of you? What would Paul say of us? Would he say that he sees our faithfulness? He has heard of our faithfulness. Would he say that he has seen how men, Mission Church, I mean, think about it. We're the only church that I know of in town that has a library that size. I don't know what y'all are arguing about. We're the only church I know that has a cafeteria with a restaurant quality kitchen. We're the only church I know that has more rooms than we can even use. We got a full gym for our youths. We got a parking lot. We got a playground. We got a little circle drive out here, just like what you wish you had at home. God has blessed us greatly. God. Would he be enamored with what we have and don't have? Or we'd say, they don't have a lot, but they are wealthy because of their faith in Jesus and their love for each other. If you're new to Mission Church or somebody pushed, pulled, or dragged you here today, I want you to know we really don't have much to offer you. And that's not even how we look at church. We're going to preach Jesus. And we're going to love the hell out of you. And if you ever feel unloved, you let Pastor Todd know. Because he's former CIA. And Justin, he's gotten buffed up. You let us know. Because I want you to know, we're going to fight to love each other as Christ has loved the church. And that's the church we want to be. But I want you to know, that only comes if the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. It only comes if the gospel is illuminated. It only comes if we press in, not push away. Man, I've got so much here. Let me conclude like this. C.S. Lewis. Chronicles of Narnia, Screwtape Letters, Mere Christianity, 
wrote another book called The Weight of Glory. And inside that, please listen to this. Again, this is not the Bible. This is a good word for us. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. What is Lewis saying to us? He's saying that God is, that we're not only God's inheritance, but that God has an inheritance for us. And he's English, so he used the word holiday. That's what we would call a vacation. And so God is, God is offering us this relationship with him, this glorious opportunity with him. And yet we are more content being in the backyard making mud pies than connecting and finding rest in Jesus. And those mud pies for all of us can be arranged in a variety of different ways. And yet God has so much more to offer us, church. Where, though? In Him. So may the Holy Spirit illuminate us. His Word to show us who He is. May He illuminate it in such a way that, that we see that we are God's inheritance and because we are God's inheritance we have hope. And may the Holy Spirit illuminate His power in such a way that Mission Church is an unstoppable force for the sake of the Gospel. Let's pray. Lord.